All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another action-packed episode here at the Crypto 101 Podcast. It's your host, Bryce Paul, joined by my notorious companion, uh, the P-I-Z, Mr. Pizza Mind. How you doing, buddy? You know, it's been actually a few months since we've sat down and recorded a podcast. We had such an amazing backlog of episodes, but I still feel like I need a vacation, Bryce. It's been a ridiculously busy last few months for us. We've done so much. We've got our hands in so many different things. And I feel like uh, I just need a change of scenery. I just recently moved to Texas and it's really, really nice over here, but it's much different than the beach. But I love diversifying my locations and the different you know things that, that I can do in my life. But I feel like I need an oasis as my next destination, Bryce. Can you potentially find one? Is there anything you can recommend? You know, you you are really right on track. Uh, you found your personal oasis in Texas, part of the exodus away from California. Uh, I found my DeFi oasis in Luca Cosentino, who runs the DeFi uh, department and all things brainchild over at Oasis Labs. Luca, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Yes, yeah, big pleasure to be here. Great connecting with you. Great meeting you all. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a really, really fun conversation. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited about all the things. You know, I've been keeping tabs on you guys for a while, and you guys launched Mainnet maybe, what was it, three months ago or so. Uh, you guys are a layer one blockchain, which for a lot of the new folks that are out there listening, maybe this is the first time you've heard a, a, a podcast on crypto. Welcome. Uh, you're like, what the hell is layer one? We're going to get into all that stuff. Don't worry about it. This is Crypto 101. We keep things at a high level. 
Uh, and we bring you guys really the, the most cutting edge projects and companies that are shaping the landscape uh, in the future of finance. But before we dive into that stuff, Luca, let's get acquainted. Uh, who are you? You know, in, in a sense, what were you doing before you stumbled upon uh, cryptocurrency? And, uh, you know, how did you arrive at Oasis Labs? Yeah, great question. Um, so I, I, I st- so in my, in my previous life, I was um, always working in, in product or product additions um, roles at big corporates. I worked for uh, Procter & Gamble, American Express, um, Google, and um, and I moved to, to California from Italy via the, via the, the UK to, to get my MBA at UC Berkeley. And while I was at Berkeley, I, I had the big pleasure of, of spending some time dealing with crypto and getting more and more familiar with the technology side of, of blockchain and crypto. Um, but that passion and interest in crypto started way before, around 2013, uh, when I was an intern and, and I was like curious about different ways of paying and, and, and different uh, technologies that were actually being created all over the world. Then I came across this weird thing called Bitcoin. It's like doubling in price over time. And back in time, when we say doubling, we were actually at... $200, $300, something like that. And I started playing a little bit with this and I said, okay, maybe maybe there's something cool in, in, in those. And, and I went to my VPs who were people who had like, what, 20, 30 years of experience in payments. And I asked them, like, do you think it makes sense that I that I spend a little bit of time like researching what, what this is? And they told me like, not really, it's not in scope. We don't know what that is. We don't want to deal with that. Like it's it's a video game, et cetera. And, and, and frankly, I made a huge mistake of, of trusting them because I thought, wait, those are people who know what they're doing. They're leading a primary uh, company in, in the credit card space. They must know what they're doing. And and so I kind of abandoned that, even if, even if, even though I remained a little bit involved on in the more um, like trading side of the things, but like, we're talking about little expense here. So years later, it was very cool to see that that thing became a thing um, and, and became something that had much more potential. So I I decided to, as I said before, like to invest a little bit more resources into into understanding what was going on, and and having worked in product and data related roles before, I had this idea to use blockchain to somehow. Um, create some ways to help uh, companies deal with data in a more programmatic way while keeping the data more secure. So my high-level goal was there must be a way for these larger organizations to get more and more value from the data that they that they deal with without giving up the like security and 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 cryptography and and protection of this data. I admittedly. Google who were um, who, who the privacy experts were um, in in my network, and I stumbled upon this UC Berkeley professor uh, Don Song, and and yeah, and, and at that point uh, it turned out that she was working on something extremely similar. She was approaching this from uh, the like technology technology standpoint, and I was leading with the use case, and so the partnership somehow felt very natural. So I joined 
what then became her, her company, like just like a few weeks later. And, and I've been the first employee um, outside of the software engineers, of course, uh, in the team. And, and since then, I've been uh, working on the main launch of, of the main network. Um, I've been uh, leading the, the DeFi efforts uh, of our company. And, and DeFi stands for decentralized finance. For those who don't know that, and we can talk about it um, in, in, in depth. But uh, yeah, I've been there uh, since its inception and it's been like crazy and, and, and incredibly um, interesting to uh, create this decentralized network from, from scratch. Yeah, I love just kind of how you started that with, you know, you're, you're working at yeah, payments and then you think the guys that are, that are there running the companies know what's on the fringe and they just completely missed it. I think that's a story that so many people have that, you know, it just goes to show that sometimes the people in charge don't really know what the hell is going on. Um, and in fact, you know, I had a conversation the other week with a guy from JP Morgan who reached out to me and he said, Hey, you know, I love the podcast. Uh, I work on the like financial advisory side of JP Morgan. We are so far from like being able to, you know, recommend uh, cryptocurrencies and clients portfolio. It's still maybe a year and a half, two years out, but we're still trying to, we're trying to get a lay of the land. I'm thinking like, Oh my God, you guys are two years away you know, JP Morgan, right? You should know everything about, you know, what, what's on the fringe and, and how to deploy capital effectively and generate returns for your clients. Like that's literally your fiduciary obligation. And you're telling me like, like you can't, clients don't even have the, the modus operandi to get into the market. And I was speaking to another guy at Merrill Edge. Literally, I went golfing with him two days ago and he was like talking to me about like his financial advisory business that he's doing at Merrill Edge. And he's like, we can't even recommend grayscale products to anybody. We, we can't even recommend pot stocks. And so it's just like the, the, these companies that you think and you believe in and that are on the, you know, you know, oh, they got this big building. It's JP Morgan. It's Merrill's Bank of America. These are the guys that I trust. Like they don't know upside from down, man. It's just nuts. Sorry, that yeah, was a I think, rant. I think, it de- I think it depends on a combination of elements. We, I mean, we we won't go into like details here, but I think it's a combination of elements that that range from um, incentives to to risk uh, and to explore paths that are not mentioned specifically within their ban- within the boundaries of the OKRs or like the goals of um, of, of of people in charge. But also, I think it's a um, it, it, it's generally impossible for very focused people to keep track of the so many innovations that happen over over your career that you necessarily end up uh, ignoring some of them. Sometimes you're right and you ignore uh, what doesn't become big, but sometimes you're wrong and you ignore something that becomes like bigger than what you think before you even figure out. And I think this goes back to to, to the old story when when to the old story that explains how startups compete with giants, which is if a startup figures the distribution before the giant notices that problem, uh, the startup ends up becoming something. Now, there's no startup in this case because there are decentralized networks, but I think the story still applies. I would just think if I had you know a trillion dollar corporation. I would hire a bunch of entrepreneurs, you know, straight out of college just to work for me and starting up things and researching this stuff. You know, I could afford a staff of 10 people to make sure that my business didn't go to zero, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. I mean, that's how I got my story. 
Yeah, that's how I got my start. I was working in the kind of the traditional media side of the uh, of the you know the world. I, I studied film and media, and my boss one day came up to me and was like, "Hey, like, have you heard of blockchain and all these different ways that blockchain can kind of reinvent the advertising business and uh, you know the it just media in general, media distribution networks?" And I was like, "Oh, blockchain. That sounds sounds interesting. Never really dove into it. And, you know, this was years and year, five years ago now. Uh, but it's just funny how you know." he was doing that. He was trying to say, well, where are the different kind of attack vectors from a, you know, a CEO of a media company and all the different, you know, technology that's on the fringe, but um, very cool stuff. So, so Luca, let's dive into kind of the mission of Oasis. You guys are, are, are dead focused on preserving privacy, uh, which is hyper relevant right now, kind of in the light of everything that's that's going on in the world. So, so tell us a little bit about your mission um, and what Oasis Labs is really trying to accomplish. Yeah, for sure. So Oasis is is laser focused on um, becoming this uh, privacy enabled blockchain uh, platform for 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 open finance and and responsible data economy. And I think this is very interesting because. At first, it seems that all these elements are maybe not that related. Like uh, there are people working on, on on finance, there are people working on data, and there are people working on, on privacy, there are people working on blockchain, and and then some intersections. But I think we were able. I think I think Oasis did a great job in in spending a lot of cycles thinking what is the what is the connection between all these elements, and I think this um, is not evident. Uh, because the second order consequences of of having privacy of a, of a network are much bigger than what um, the term privacy suggests. And and let me let me let me explain what I mean here. Um, when we think of privacy, we often think of yeah, like you need to protect your data, you need to make sure that that someone doesn't see your information and stuff like that. But I think there's much more than this, and I think. These observations started from one interesting point, which is there is this like history of, of privacy that suggests that people don't really care about privacy if that blocks convenience or if that blocks access to a certain new product. And you have this thing uh, happening over and over, right? Starting from thousands of years ago when people were doing like private things that are now private, they were doing that in, in public because they didn't have like walls in their houses. And once someone built those walls, people went to do these things inside instead of outside. And then like flash forward to a thousand years later, when maybe like the, the first telephone where the first telephone was invented, you had people going into a room and and, and speaking out loud uh, in front of everyone else. And um, and just to, just to be able to use that telephone and 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 then like the, the the subsequent innovation was someone creating the headphones as a way not to reveal your conversation to the same participants of that room and 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 that found immediate adoption because effectively when when people need to trade like convenience for privacy they take convenience but when you offer privacy that becomes an incentive to do the same thing in a more private way people generally do that that like historically more than generally do that. Now, so, what does this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just going to talk. Like, how do you incentivize people mm-hmm. uh, to to be private? Is that through paying them to be private, essentially? Yeah. So, so this is where I was heading um, to. So, so 
So what happens is that um, um, too often privacy in, in, in every market or in every in every product you can think of is always like a presented as a trade-off, right? As something that you need to accept or block or 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 do something. And there's there's not really an incentive for you to do that, right? Like you want to block cookies, you have a worst experience. You want to um, um, delete your account from Facebook, you're not going to be part of your social network. You want to like protect your credit cards, you don't shop online. And 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 the list of examples is basically um, endless. So what is the key point that I think I think we 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 realized? Um, the key point that we realized is that privacy should be an incentive and not a trade-off. And if you start thinking that way, the idea of privacy completely switches to another dimension, right? Now, let me be a little bit more concrete. Um, let's take the blockchain example, which is what we're talking about here. You, you have these networks that are completely uh, transparent. And transparency is a great feature for um, some use cases or some specific reasons, but it's, it becomes a problem when you need to protect some of the interesting things that some maybe like users or companies or participants in general need to do. Because effectively privacy can mean some things that are extremely interesting for the users uh, or participants. Again, first of all, you want to protect your commercial interests. Even if you don't want to hide specifically because you, you just for the sake of hiding, you need to hide uh, or you need to keep some information private for that information to be valuable. Otherwise it's not valuable anymore. You need to be able to uh, put the, the, the sensitive information in, in some place that is isolated and protected from the uh, public uh, or from everyone to maybe compete or to maybe like hold your uh, competitive advantage. And, and this opens up to a massive problem that um, exists in traditional businesses and in blockchain when there's, there's full transparency. And this is problem that I'm referring to is the collaboration between users and, and enterprises, for instance, right? This is, this is one um, example. So you have these enterprises that could be seen as platforms um, that at the very beginning when they are young, they have a big incentive in, in cooperating with their users. So their policies are very well um, explained. They, their, their condition and terms are very well written. You open a website of a startup is generally 10 times clearer than a website of an enterprise. But even when you consider platforms such as like developer platforms, et cetera, the rules and terms are always, always very clear. And, um, and, and because, because they need to cooperate with their users in order to attract more and more users. And the same applies to really like every, every consumer app, every, every service, every um, um, enterprise application, it's always the same story. But once the, once the uh, let's say enterprise um, passes a certain threshold or passes this critical mass, their, their behavior starts changing because the relevance of that one user becomes lower and lower and lower and lower over time, right? One user is very important when you have five users, but it's much less relevant when you have a billion users on your platform, right? So what does this mean? This means that the enterprise itself has this incentive to reduce the level of collaboration with the users and, and exploits the users as much as possible, right? So they, they implement strategy to collect more data than they need, more information than they need. And so the consumer keeps losing val losing like relative value, relative importance 
um, to the company or relevant like bargaining power. While one of the things that we that we realized at Oasis is that a lot of this competition or a lot of this tension happens around the data, right? The company tries to get as much information as possible from the user and gets ownership and transfer of that data every time because there is no way for the user to retain that information and decide who they want to share that information with and at which cost and at which price. Now, blockchain plus privacy solve that. Users can retain their own information. This information goes inside a capsule, um, which is managed by the user, and the user decides who they want to share the information with and why. So this opens up the market to like uh, people who want to maybe sell or maybe give away or maybe like whatever term you want to use there. And we can deep dive a little bit more into potential models, but. Um, um, it, it, it creates a space for a programmatic collaboration between users and 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 um, and companies that may be incentivized by money, which is one option, or it may be incentivized by supporting a certain cost, which is a second option, or it may be incentivized by other things that we we haven't explored yet. Um, but that's where the responsible data economy um, um, starts. All of a sudden the data becomes a factor of production that users uh, should be compensated for in some form, and they can put um, to work uh, because someone else will extract some value from this data and build products or services from this data. Speaking of that, building products and services, there are a lot of 100% legal industries here in the United States that struggle to get banking that struggle to get merchant accounts to be able to take credit cards, that struggle to get insurance, all because the nature of their business, while legal, may be frowned upon by by whomever. Um, So that applies to adult bookstores, that applies to gun shops, that applies to cannabis, and that also applies to crypto. You know, none of us are bad guys. I shouldn't say none of us, but none of us here on this call, at least anyway. <laughs> but still, uh, if I you know go into a bank right now and say, "Hey, I've got you know six figures worth of money, but it's in crypto. It's now legal for your bank to you know accept Bitcoin or stable coins. Can I open an account?" They would laugh me out of the building. And this is a problem that many of these other merchants face. They have to take cash, but we're moving to a cashless society, and uh, with these new rules being proposed by FinCEN that would force people to identify their Bitcoin and Ethereum wallets, even if they were accepting crypto at these locations, now suddenly the bank is like, oh, you're trying to you know, deposit through here, through this exchange. You know, No, I'm going to ban your accounts again. So with these regulations, they're trying to circumvent the very reason crypto was invented, and that's financial inclusion. That is the reason that crypto is here. It's not supposed to be more convenient. It's supposed to be inclusive and available for everyone. So with what you're building at Ocean, it's very, very important. And when we talk about a layer one solution, that means you're not dependent on any other company or technology to work. If something else breaks elsewhere in the world, Oasis is still going. Is that correct? Yeah. So so what what you said, I think... Um, th- there is one part of what you said that is really relevant to the way we 
the way Oasis um, sees the evolution of this new financial system um, that uh, is supposed to be it's supposed to happen in parallel to the actual one, but maybe one day we replace it. Um, and and it's this idea that it should be inclusive, right? Um, now, at Oasis, like we we clearly are not experts of uh, any like regulation or 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 compliance matters because um, we. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We do technology, right? That's what that's what the company does best. But I think the idea here is enabling a certain vision. Um, and, and this vision for the decentralized finance that we see um, in the future is really this open financial system that runs in parallel to the traditional system, but it's based on rules that are universally um, um, accessible or like respectable and and um, that everyone in the world, no matter what was the wealth, no matter what's the geography or no matter what is the status, um, can access and can participate into as long as they have um, a smartphone and, and an internet connection and, and, and maybe some, some something more than that. But um, while, while we think that one of the aspects that is missing in the current DeFi space, and again, DeFi stands for this decentralized finance system, um, is that decentralized finance should not be just the place where you can get higher interest rates like by stacking different interest rates, but should be this place where to some extent, it doesn't really matter what preconditions you have, as long as you respect the rules that that specific protocol has put in place for you. Right. Um, yeah. Right. No. I, yeah. I think that that was spot on, and and kind of like when when I look at the uh, the smart contract landscape right now, there's not many platforms that have privacy built into the to the layer one. So, you know, I guess. Without getting too technical, um, what maybe what problems would you say are solved by having privacy at the smart co- at the base layer of the technology as opposed to just being a wrapper on top of it? Well, I think so. 
First of all, like, w- one thing I love to say is that there's there's a lot of privacy in the market, right? There's a lot of um, um, privacy coins, privacy smart contracts. There, there's a lot of stuff that is related to term privacy. But one aspect that uh, may be confusing for uh, for listeners is like, is it all the same privacy or 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 privacy associated to different pieces? Maybe a different one. And I think yeah, that's let's break for, that down. Yeah, I think that I think that's key for Oasis because. Oasis is not a privacy coin. Uh, it's not something that is meant to hide information from the masses. But the point of Oasis having the point of Oasis having smart contracts that keep the data private is that being able to execute some transaction or being able to execute some calculation doesn't also have to imply uh, doesn't also imply to um, reveal the information to the net, to the entire network. Um, and the point is that developers can actually write smart contracts that keep the input of the smart contracts private and confidential uh, while not sacrificing the ability to make this data and information um, valuable. This is, I think, it's it's a key differentiating factor for Oasis. Um, and, and we want to uh, be very mindful of this because it guides a lot of the actions that um, the, the network will, will take going forward. Now, when it comes to the problems that uh, the presence of privacy solves, the way I um, organize my thoughts is generally thinking of the um, uh, two types of thinking of two types of problems that are solved. There are the like what I call the direct problem and the kind of indirect positive consequences that this brings. So, um, when you think of a transparent network um, that is also decentralized. You can think of a situation where uh, all the business interests are public, which means that the participation of a certain user or a certain um, um, company uh, is actually public. Um, and, And stuff like transactions can be spied. And once you can spy a transaction, what you can do is that you can also um, copy that transaction. And so the question becomes at this stage, like, okay, if there are two competing transactions, which transaction goes first? And right. And a, people, this is a this is a huge problem in DeFi that all these uh, transactions through the AMMs get front run, right? Like, right. I'll, I'll kind of verify that I want to make this transaction, and somebody comes in, front runs me, and puts in a higher gas price. So then that transaction gets processed, and I get stuck on pending. I'm like, what the hell? Exactly. So you got exactly what I was going, and and that's one of my first. Uh, that, that's probably my first like indirect consequence of, of, of the lack of privacy somehow, which is given what you just said, given that I can see the transaction, given that I can copy the transaction, and given that I can also offer a higher price for that transaction, I will do that, right? I will do that. And, and this means that there is a market for all of a sudden from the lack of privacy. Now we switch the problem to the fact that there is a second market for gas fees, which means that the gas fees go uh, go up and the average participants will have to pay more to participate in that network, which, and, and you create this situation that is opposite to what blockchain is meant to do, which is like coordination of large ecosystems, because all of a sudden you are incentivizing a few people, which are these like self-motivated traders, uh, but you are scaring away the majority of people who will not be able to um, make any convenience out of the fact that they need to pay $150 for submitting a um, certain transaction. So that's one, right? So um, I, um, so again, to sum up, 
you you have these direct and, and, and indirect consequences. The direct one are the most easy to um, spot on, which are like the 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 like business interests are public. You cannot uh, protect commercial um, um, negotiations or, or or maybe like participation or relationships, um, etc. But then there are the indirect ones that are, for instance, the fact that the, there is a market for fees that limits participation of the most people. Um, um, it, it's kind of impossible to create a user reputation um, because. Um, because there is no place where you can put the data that belongs to a certain user, given that everyone has, has the data of everyone, which creates an incentive for people to create multiple wallets, which are uh, the kind of equivalent in the crypto space of an identity without all the attestation and documents and all the parts. Um, and 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 then and then the third one, which is again very similar to this one, is that the users don't really control their data and and they cannot. Um, uh, put their data in, in places that then can be uh, served to, to third-party institutions or organizations that will use that information. And this last problem uh, is connected to the problem, to, to the previous problem, which is given the users don't control their data, it's basically impossible to create a reputation system that um, separate, sorry, that puts all the all the action of a certain user in one place instead of separating bad and good actions depend on different on different wallets or identities, um, and so that's another indirect consequence of of the lack of privacy that Oasis would love to solve, and that's why I talked before about the intersection of responsible data economy and open finance, because when you start thinking of finance as a series of financial incentives. And you start thinking of data as something that motivates those financial incentives. You can start linking the two, and, and those two start overlap, at least for some percentage. That make it very interesting to cover both um, at the same time. When we talk about DeFi, it's a general overview of a suite of products. It's not just one thing. There are lending and borrowing platforms like Maker and Compound. There's exchanges like Uniswap and Kyber Network. What angle of DeFi is being built at Oasis? Yeah, great question. Um, and and I'll give you and I'll give you a, a an interesting answer here. So, for the most part, being a layer one, um, Oasis has this vision of becoming one of the best platforms for uh, development. Um, and and so the first thing that um, Oasis needs to keep in mind is that the target user is uh, the developer first, and the developer wants a very smooth experience, uh, wants to pay or wants its users to pay uh, low fees, uh, wants its users to be able to submit multiple transactions, again, respecting privacy if needed in this case. Um, but they also want to be able to find the main services and the main protocols already integrated and available um, on that network. So they don't want to do the portability of a certain oracle, for instance, or for a certain stable coin, or for a certain, um, I don't know, like custodian, or for a certain, um, like, um, what, what else I can mention, like liquid staking provider, and so on and so forth. So one of the main goals of Oasis was to build this network um, and ecosystem of partners um, to create this very smooth experience for developers uh, when they want to build applications on the Oasis network. So the Oasis network offers these developers the flexibility of writing public or, or, or private smart contracts, uh, paying low fees, 
um, uh, at scale um, and 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 finding all these pre-integrated um, uh, protocols and services um, um, on the network. So this is this is like the first part um, um, to answer your question. And and we built um, a crazy rich ecosystem. You like there's plenty of documentation and and, and ecosystem maps that. Uh, our our uh, brilliant marketing team put together, and 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 you're gonna notice in, in it takes you a few seconds to notice this is one of the richest um, ecosystems in 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 the space. Now the second part of 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 the the answer I want to give you is that um, the 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 DeFi will start from so the DeFi space always start. I mean every financial system. Um, starts from credit or lending, right? Uh, because that's always the primitive of um, the, the the financial system, because it's the space where you can trade this uh, excess of of capital, and you can move it from who has too much to to who needs something uh, in exchange for an interest rate. And and there um, is the part where the reputation um, and data is are needed. Um, probably the most, right? Yeah. Like this is absolutely. the place where you need to know who the user is. You need to trust the user, and you need to um, 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 reward good good behaviors. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the responsible data economy, the idea of these uh, capsules that are owned by the users, the idea of um, um, creating a composable credit score that doesn't rely on a central agency but allows any lender to uh, or any, uh, any lender whether centralized or decentralized better if decentralized of course to build customized credit scores that depend on their own needs I think that's the ability uh, that oasis can provide the most value to um but still the network provides very horizontal benefits to the entire DeFi space because when, yeah. we, when you start solving the problem of high transaction fees, um, um, high scale, like low scalability and, and privacy, those features are very horizontal across any type of um, use case that you can think of. Yeah. It's one of those things that, you know, there's so many added benefits here. Now it's about getting the user adoption and the, the developer adoption because when I think about, you know, Ethereum, right, it's, you know, I just, it, it blew up, right? It's now a, a bigger develop, Pete's right, a bigger open source developer community than freaking Linux, bigger That's than right. Bitcoin. I mean, there's there's more developers on Ethereum than there are on Bitcoin. And so there's this little shift. And so it's it's hard to, you know, attack something that's already had that market share. And, and I, I think it's fair to say that Oasis is, is absolutely a, um, you know, a competitor to Ethereum, but is there ever a future in your mind where these coexist and these interoper- interoperate? Yeah, so I actually think that um, the vision of, of all the layer ones being uh, competitors is motivated by the fact that they they that each of them like has to compete for a cert, for for the similar place in the architecture but at the same time i think the distinction and the differentiators of each networks um, are going to create the space where these networks will absolutely interoperate and become more and more interoperable every quarter um, because 
because the, the, the ability of focusing on more than one or two things is extremely complicated, especially when you have to think about it doing those at scale uh, while fostering your community, while uh, innovating, while keeping up with the market, while building partnerships, while doing all these things. So yeah, the, the way I see it is kind of it's kind of like there 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 is a massive M and A um, that happens in in the crypto space, not run by an investment firm, but by but run by all these communities that merge together around um, the specialties of these uh, each of these projects. So I totally see how in the short term at least this these networks will become more and more interoperable interoperable, which means that assets will be able to flow more and more freely um, on these different networks. They will be able to um, uh, take the properties of that specific network and then switch over to the next one for uh, what the second network is is very good at. Um, And then they will all be connected by bridges um, and and those bridges will will disappear with time and become more and more integrated either inside the wallets or maybe like hidden from the user flow um, or this like idea of wrapping tokens uh, will become more popular. So there are like different theories of how this will work. But I think that the common denominator is that tokens will move across different networks. Some layer one networks will be uh, both layer one networks and layer 1.5 slash two to each other. Um, mm-hmm. Someone will have liquidity, someone will have privacy, someone will have maybe like better uh, developer tool, I don't know. Uh, and so the hope is that these networks will be um, working together um, to, to create a very complete infrastructure for uh, people to focus on, on the layer above that, which is either the protocol or application layer, depending on um, which structure we're talking about. Yeah, fascinating. And we haven't even gotten into really tokenized data. And that's something that that I wanted to talk about uh, briefly um, in so far as you know, what is tokenized data, and, and can people earn a yield for for kind of tokenizing their data? And then you know that'll be the last question, and we'll wrap things up. Yep, absolutely. So let me give you, let me give you, let, let me start from what I left before with this idea of identities and capsules, right? So the best way to see what the Oasis network offers is. Um, again, like what I said before, and, and I know it's, it's not a simple concept, so I'll, I'll try to like exp- explain that one more time. So there is an identity, which is a user or, or a user inside an organization, um, and then there is a capsule. And the capsule is filled with data points that may come from different places. And, and those capsules are somehow independent from identities, but also the identities are the ones that can control these capsules with like read, write, share permissions. Um, so now that we have created this relationship between identities and capsules, um, you can add one more feature on top, which is the ability of programmatically uh, share or like take some actions on this data. And what this means is that you can say, okay, uh, under these specific rules, uh, maybe allow this person to um, look at my data um, um, and or maybe just use that data within a computation model, which could be a machine learning model, but do not reveal the data itself, only allow the model to like run on, on, on that data. So this brings again, like two properties. 
the uh, programmability of this relationship that I just described and the fact that the data stays private throughout the entire life cycle. It, it's not revealed. Um, and so it's reusable at any point in time. Um, so so now, now you need to introduce this idea of data tokenization, right? Mm. Because for a certain protocol to be able to deal with, with an asset, that protocols needs to recognize that certain asset uh, in an automatic way. Like your even humans recognize a dollar for some properties. Uh, your bank recognize a digital dollar. Uh, a system that is a proprietary of a certain company recognizes uh, a type of information and classifies that information depending on how relevant it is for that specific company. What you need is a protocol or you need something that does that uh, with any type of data. And in order to do that, you need to do a more atomic way of a data, atomic representation of a data set um, that is recognizable by the players that deal with that atomic representation of the data. Um, and, 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 and once you have that, which is this uh, data token, now you can create a protocol that is very similar to a compound of DeFi. And this protocol takes in these data tokens and lends them out based on the um, based on the actual demand that there's for that specific data token. So you can imagine this world where a lot of users control their data and they all decide that they want to lend it. Um, they want to lend this data within a certain protocol. And then a marketing company can come in, train their model on this data by borrowing this data uh, automatically. And then once they're done, they break the contract automatically and, and they transfer the corresponding amount of money, for instance, or rewards to the actual data borrower, uh, data lender, sorry. So now, now you have created this relationship between data lenders and data borrowers that connect over this relationship of exchanging data. And, and, and again, when we say exchanging data, the key part is that the data is not actually transferred from one place to another one, but it's only access for the purpose of a, of a certain computation. And so the same way the dollar is exchanged in and out uh, in exchange for an interest rate that is either calculated by a central entity in the central world or uh, dynamically calculated based on supply and demand, now you can do the same exact thing with data where depending on how many people or how many uh, queries people want to do on my data, my data becomes more valuable uh, and, and vice versa, which solves the, the, the big problem of how should be data um and priced yeah so 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 now you know guys think of a future everybody who's listening to just understand that there is a future out there where the data that you produce online uh you know will it, it is valuable currently but it will be monetized uh through through different protocols like this uh luca ton of fun. Uh, I loved getting to know you, loved getting to know all about Oasis Labs. I just got one last question for you. And it's a question we ask everybody that comes on the show. And it's as simple as this. It's, you know, if this is the very first podcast that somebody in the crypto space was listening to, what would you want them to know, right? So day one in crypto land, we know how crazy it is. We know how fun it is. What would you want these day one folks to know? I want them to know why blockchain, um, why DeFi, and why privacy. So why blockchain? I give an answer, uh, which is to 
um, automatic to, to, to create coordination coordination um, across participants of a certain network um, in a very automatic and programmatic and incentivized way. Why DeFi? And I'd say to create an open, transparent, and accessible uh, financial system um, with um, th that is probably an alternative to the current one. And then why privacy? I think that privacy will make um, a user-controlled web a, a, a real thing um, from, from, from my vision. Fascinating. All right, Luca, thank you so much for spending uh, just about an hour with us today. Uh, if we want to find more about Oasis Labs, where do we go? Um, yeah, sure. So all the Oasis network related things are uh, continuously posted on um, our, our uh, Twitter and Telegram. All the links are on the website, oasisprotocol.org. Um, and, and those are maybe the three best sources for for that we um we always release information there uh there is a community that runs um all these activities um that are governance proposals um and 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 the network is really taking off and has really taken off in in a very decentralized way both from the technical and, and business um standpoint Awesome. So, so Oasis Protocol, Oasis Network, and Oasis Labs are all w part of a similar, they're all working on the Oasis Network. Is that right? They all contribute to the Oasis Network. The Oasis Network is the base layer. Um, and then Oasis Labs is a core contributor to the um, Oasis Network. Got and it. the Oasis Network and the Oasis um, um, Foundation are like decentralized entities. Um, that follow the the protocol of of um, the decentralized world. Awesome, wonderful. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode of the Crypto One Hundred One Podcast. Uh, we will catch you same time, same place next week. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.